Nicole Matthews, corporate America dropout turned entrepreneur and owner of The Henley Company, an event travel and lifestyle management firm. It wasn't that long ago that I was dreading my drive to my fancy corporate job each day or felt disenfranchised with the work I was doing. In 2007, I jumped off the corporate escalator and directly into the elevator of opportunity. Today, I'm an author, speaker, educator, and serial asker. I wholeheartedly believe that your life changes when you start creating your own opportunities and making big asks. Hands down, the business and life I have today is 100% the product of giving myself permission to design the life I want to live. It was always my dream to work at the Olympics, and by making a big ask, that dream became a reality. I now have multiple Olympic projects to add to my life resume. I created the Big Ask Podcast to share these best practices with you. Whether you're an entrepreneur hungry for revenue generating tips or an individual restless to make a significant change, the life you want to live could be just one big ask away. Get ready to be entertained by real life stories, no filter conversations, and inspired by the daily hustle. So let's get started. This is the Big Ask Podcast. My name is Nicole Matthews, and I welcome you back to the Big Ass Podcast. I am thrilled to be here today with my good friend, Simon T. Bailey, who I would consider to be one of the most inspirational people in my life. And I am thrilled that for the next uh, 45 minutes or so, you and I are going to have an opportunity to get to know Simon even better. So welcome, Simon T. Bailey, to the Big Ass Podcast. Thank you, my friend. So good to be Uh, with you. I'm so thrilled to see your face. Thank goodness technology allows us to actually see each other. So thank you for your your time. So I've had the pleasure of knowing you for the last couple of years, but I'd love for um, my audience to get to know you better. So can we get the, the, the quick and dirty Simon T. Bailey story for um, kind of, you know, just, just go back the last 30 years. Let's just start with that. <laughs> Real quick, 30 years yeah. of experience, hospitality <laughs> industry, work for Disney, um, father of two amazing children. I live in Orlando, Florida. And today I've worked with almost 1800 organizations in 49 countries. And my entire purpose is to help spark sustainable transformation in individual systems, nations. And uh, that's, that's what I do. And I love it. I do it through the books that we've written, our online courses, and of course, uh, speaking, consulting, and coaching. Yep, you do that. And I have heard you speak many times. I, I find myself stumbling upon a video that you've done, and I'll even watch that, even knowing you like I do. And I have to say that any engagement with Simon T. Bailey, you come out a better human on the other side, even if it's a phone call or an in-person or even just watching you uh, just in your just in your zone delivering you know a a wonderful keynote it's just you're such a gift of the words and I just want to dive deep into that like where does all of that wisdom come from and um were you a wise six-year-old or is this is this been something that you've had to um kind of you know like a muscle develop you know, recently I told my mother uh, she'll be 80 this year. And uh-huh. I said to her when I, I remember vividly when I was about eight or nine years of age, she came to the school because the principals, uh, the principal wanted to meet with her and said that I was a troubled child. Today they would call it ADHD, <laughs> but back in the day they oh. called it hyperactive. Okay. And she told the school there's nothing wrong with him. He's fine. 
And what I realized growing up in Buffalo, New York, uh, mom and dad literally just began to challenge me and saw that I had a gift for speaking. That was my thing. And they just encouraged me to communicate and to dialogue and to have conversation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just been a part of who, who I, I've been forever. <laughs> yeah. And I know you read incessantly and you are watching and learning from others. And so all of that just gets thrown into a beautiful big pot of Simon Jambalaya and gets spit out <laughs> on the other side <laughs> of all the wisdom. Right. I've never heard that before. That's funny. <laughs> so tell us something that might surprise us about you. So if what's a fun fact about you that most people don't know? Believe it or not, and you're going to find this a shocker. I'm a socialized introvert. Mm. I, I can be out and about, but I love my downtime and just being mm. quiet. So I, I've been home these last three months, the longest time I've ever been home in 20 yeah. years. And it's been like a gift. I'm learning how yeah. to cook, you know? And it's like yeah. yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. That's yeah. wonderful. I can see that about you though. I, I think that a socialized introvert is a great, that's yeah. a great term because I can see that. I can see that about you. So um, I know you started your career well, a big piece of your career was at the Mouse House, right? Yep. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about your your trajectory from the Mouse House, i.e. Disney, to Simon T. Bailey International. And your now goal, is it 1 billion people on the planet that yeah, you want to gotta, inspire? It's 1 billion. That's one right. Billion. Let's go. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> right. So you said Mickey Mouse has done it. I'm going to do it too, just in a different <laughs> way, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So a little bit about your um, Disney to... Um, your own business and what that looked like. Yeah, so my my Disney story is I got a call from a journalist and you never talk to the media at Disney unless you're authorized. And I wasn't authorized. And he said, where do you see yourself <laughs> 10 to 15 years from now? And I said, I see myself as the president and CEO of the Walt Disney World Resort and eventually the chairman and CEO of the Walt Disney Company puts this in print. <laughs> so the article comes out, page 12, Florida Business Trend Magazine, February 2002. And my boss calls me the office. He's like, what the heck were you thinking, Sandy? wanted to become the number one guy at Disney. And Nicole, I said to him, I work at this company whose motto is, if your heart is in your dreams, no request is too extreme for when you wish upon a star. It makes no difference who you are. Funny today, not funny then. So um, <laughs> HR shows up, writes me up, goes into my personnel file. And I realized that Disney didn't fire me that day, but about a year later, I heard the footsteps coming and they were not singing. It's a small world after all. <laughs> it was probably in my best interest if I would leave on my own accord so I could hold on to my Cobra insurance at least for yeah. 18 months. So right. I, I launched out when the when the country's going to war with Iraq for the second time corporations were laying off by the hundreds of thousands. I turned down four jobs, all because I answered three questions. What would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? What would I do if no one paid me to do it? What mm-hmm. makes me come alive? And when I answered those three questions, I said, there, there will never be a perfect time to become the person you might have been. Mm-hmm. And, and here we are, you know, and it's been a great journey. Yeah, that's amazing. Repeat those questions that you asked well, yourself again. Yeah. I want to make sure everybody hears that because it's really important. What would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? Mm-hmm. What would I do if no one paid me to do it? And mm-hmm. what makes me come alive? Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's such an important question anytime, but can you imagine asking yourself that right now in the midst of the the pandemic and having all this time at home and 
you know, knowing how long this was going to last, I mean, how powerful that would have been had somebody said on day one, I want to answer those questions by the time this is, you know, by the time the world opens up again. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think that's, that's just really powerful. So definitely one of those like, aha, write it down moments as you're listening to this podcast, because there's so many times in our life, I think we we should just keep checking in. I mean, even though you're doing the work, I think that you were put on the planet to do, there's probably still times that you should or do ask yourself those questions, right? I mean, just continue to check in and make sure that you're on the path you're supposed to be on. Constantly reevaluating, constantly mm-hmm. reevaluating. Yeah, definitely. So the big quarantine word, um, you, you've learned how to cook <laughs> in quarantine, yeah. but obviously, yes, I know it's very exciting. I mean, it makes you even more of a catch now. Simon. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> <laughs> Women are going to be swiping right, left and right, left and right. <laughs> yeah, now we can cook. Yeah, now we can cook. Um, but, you know, we, you, you started by saying it's the most you've been home in 20 years. So yeah. what has that been like for you to suddenly be physically grounded and then also having to really um, serve your clients in a different way by not being in a room with, you know, thousands of people like you're used to standing on a stage. So yeah. what was that like sort of emotionally for you to make that switch? And then obviously like just logistically in terms of helping your clients. First of all, it was really hard and difficult. Let me just be straight up with you because Mm -hmm. for about a good six weeks, I was upset, pissed off, ticked off, like the world has changed. I wasn't ready for it to change. I love being on a plane. It's like breathing air and all of a sudden I'm grounded. What in the heck just happened? It's like the bottom fell out. And if the truth be told, there were many days I was in the bed, covers pulled over my head. I'm not getting up. I'm upset. Where if I was upset, I was half productive. I couldn't leave the house. Just wah, 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 wah. And then probably about the seventh week in, I said, okay, you teach this stuff. You have to do the work. Eat your own cooking, dude. And I just got up. And what I recognized, I needed to put order. I had to meditate. I had to take my meds. Meditate, exercise, diet, and sleep. So I started to develop a routine where I was getting up, you know, in the past, like 6 a.m. or so during this time, start getting up at 5 a.m., then 4 a.m. Now I get up at 3 a.m. And I would just meditate and just write in in my day one journal on my phone. Then I would actually, I'm walking like early in the morning and walking when it's so quiet, I get to see the sun come up. What? I missed it for the first time. And this is going to sound so simple. I heard the birds. I never hear the birds. The birds are always singing, but I was so into whatever I had going on. So now I hear the birds. And so I exercise and then I plan my meals at the very beginning of the day so that I eat properly because I gained weight. I was I was grazing too much, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I had to have hot apple pie a la mode with a cold <laughs> glass of milk. Oh my, oh, sweet Jesus. Like, what? Like, I was all in. But I said, wait a minute, I got to eat better. And then I've had to really work on sleeping more. Mm. So I'm in bed now, probably like 8, 8.30. I'm like out. And my friends know, if you don't reach me before 9 o'clock, 9.30, I'm a sleepyhead. I'm gone because mm-hmm. I'm getting up early. But it's setting a routine. 
yeah. and getting on a rhythm. So this time has been good. It's been really good. Yeah. I think that for me, I mean, I've worked from home for so many years now. So for me, that transition wasn't as, as much. I mean, I have too have been grounded because I do events, you know, outside of San Diego, but, but I, I hear what you're saying about um, enjoying the quiet. Because, you know, even just like the number of cars going up the street or, you know, with my office window open and you do hear, you know, birds. And like today, actually, I smelled roses today. And like it was the first time I and my neighbors have these beautiful roses that are blooming. And, and I, it was like it was that just that because the world was quiet, I could smell the roses. Even. I mean, literally stop and smell the roses. Right. And wow. so it has been those little moments, I think, in, in, in this chapter of, you know, house arrest, as I call it, um, to, to just be quiet and that, and what is coming in that quiet, I think is, is, is really powerful lessons. So, um, I, 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 I hope you'll allow me to go down the path of kind of what's happening in the world this week and where we are. And, um, I always, you know, value the fact that you and I can have a really honest conversation. So, so thank you for, for guiding me through this, but what is speaking of conversation, what is the conversation that the world is not having at the moment that we need to be having given the, you know, the protests and and the riots and everything that's happening um, this week. So what are we not talking about that we should be talking about? The world is not talking specifically in America about true racial equality instead Mm -hmm. of equality. They're not talking about that. Um, Police brutality. They've got to have that question. Mm -hmm. Um, The world is not talking about the educational achievement gap that has happened to black Americans for so long. Because Mm -hmm. if a child is not reading uh, on a fourth grade level where they need to be, they're already projecting to build a jail because they know that child will not graduate uh, on time. Um, They've got to deal with the wealth disparity. Why is it in Minneapolis where three fourths um, of the uh, white Americans that live in Minneapolis own a home, but only a quarter of of people of color, black and brown, mm-hmm. own a home, and it, and and um, people in the Minneapolis area, which is really where the tipping point when George Floyd was killed, that black people, according to their latest statistics, um, they are eleven times more incarcerated than white people. That's a problem, but that's not just Minneapolis. That's around the country. So so when you see uh, cities, literally people protesting, and let me just say, I do not agree with the looting. I do not agree with the vandalism. I think Mm -hmm. there's an underbelly that comes out during Mm -hmm. this time to take advantage of a situation. And those who are peaceful protesters are kind of caught up in the mix, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think... What's happening around the country is because people have been quarantined for three months. They want to get out. People have had time to self-reflect. And if you're a brown or black person, you're like, my future looks bleak because mm-hmm. either I've been furloughed. I don't have a job. If I do have a piece of a job, I'm, the, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Or yeah. if there are 40 million people unemployed, how am I going to find a job? So there's a convergence of all these mm-hmm. things happening. Mm-hmm. And the, the federal government and, and governments are 
doing what they think they can throw money at it, but it's yeah. not just throwing money at it. You got to have a conversation and right. the conversation starts with, okay, Nicole, you don't look like me, but I know you need me and I need you. Mm-hmm. Can we just get along and right. find out how we help each other? That's the yeah. conversation that's not happening. Yeah. What's been showing up for me this week in all of that is, you know, I feel like I was raised in the generation where, where we were supposed to say like, I don't see color. I don't see color. Everybody's the same. And I, and I feel like now that's a disservice because I should see color, right? I should see that you and I don't have the same skin color. And, and then how does that impact um, the lives that we both have lived? You know, there's, you know, and, and the word privilege obviously keeps coming up and, and, and so I don't want to be caught up in the, like, I don't see color anymore because I feel like that's just a, and denial of what is happening. Right. And and instead we, we we should say, I see color, right. Because because then I acknowledge who you are. Absolutely. That's it. That's because when you say you don't see color, then you make me white. Yeah. Yeah. I I might as well be white. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, what's been really showing up for me is, is that language that we were taught, you know, so quick to say, well, I don't see color. Everyone's the same. No, they're not, you know, they're not. And, and to say that they are is, is the disservice. So um, yeah. Yeah. There's so much work to be done. And, and it, and the other thing that I have has sort of been on my heart this week is, is there should be a, I want to start another podcast because I don't have enough to do at the moment, but um, <laughs> I would love to have another podcast and sort of the working title at the moment would be like lessons from our conversation where we just talk about not necessarily business, not, you know, not what, you know, your career path, all of that, but but you and I having the real conversation and then have, you know, me having a conversation with other people who don't look like me or who do look like me, everybody has a story, right? Right. And what lesson can we take from, Mm -hmm. like you said, really having that conversation and connecting with people. Mm -hmm. Um, So, well, thank you. You know, to that point, one of the conversations that a lot of black men are having with their children, Mm -hmm. and this is the conversation that most white people don't know about, but the conversation that I've had to have with my son Mm-hmm. Most recently is if you're pulled over by the police, mm-hmm. what do you do? Mm-hmm. And he knows my hands go at 10 o'clock and two o'clock. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good morning, officer. Um, officer, I need to reach for my wallet and get get my license to show mm-hmm. you. Officer, mm-hmm. I'm going to reach over to the glove compartment and show mm-hmm. you my registration and insurance. We have to go over that conversation because we don't want our son to get shot because yeah. the officer may think that he or she may do something, right? Yeah. And that's a conversation that unfortunately, and, and, and white people don't have to have, fortunately yeah. with their children, that right. black people have to have with their children just right. because of where the world is. Right, right. And going back to, you have to see color in order to, to understand the importance of that conversation, right? Yes. Because if I say I don't see color, then I don't understand the significance of that conversation. And, mm-hmm. you know, and my nephew being the same age as your son, you know, like we've never had to have that conversation with him, you know, yes, be respectful to the police, but it comes from out of um, politeness, not out of survival. Right. And so, um, yeah, that's, I, I, you know, I, 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 
there's been so many stories this week. The gentleman, I think it was in Nashville, who wanted to take a walk around his block. I don't know if you saw that story. And he wrote to it, you know, he kind of posted like, I don't know that I'd come home. I'm too nervous to walk around my block because I live in a, I, I got the sense he lived in a predominantly white, perhaps neighborhood. And then all of a sudden his white neighbor said, I'll walk with you. I'll walk with you. And now, you know, there's a hundred people all walking together and how beautiful that is. Yes. That's the outcome. But the reality is what got them there, right? The reality was that he couldn't, he didn't feel safe enough to walk around the block. And I never have thought that, right? I go, you know, I'll go out for a walk, a run, a bike ride. And I never think someone's going to not think I belong in this neighborhood. You know, it's just, those are, there's been so many teachable moments that just make you stop again and, and appreciate. And then also key into the larger conversation. So thank you for that. I appreciate your, your insight and your wisdom into that. So let's, let's sort of get in, get, get, get back to the, the theory of the big ask and all of that. Um, what's keeping you motivated right now? What's, what kind of work are you doing? That's really inspiring you. Oh my goodness. This is the greatest time to be alive. Um, and I, and I don't say that just as motivational hype or psycho babble, mm-hmm. but when you look back at the last decade, every great innovation happens in the dip. It happens mm-hmm. when things are down, the chips are down. Um, Instagram, and I can name so many companies over the last decade that came like a phoenix out of the ashes. So I'm really mm-hmm. excited to create a digital brand now. We're creating a whole online institute where a lot of my content will live online. We'll be able to reach people 24 7, 365. That's one thing. Another thing that we launched was Spark Hope Now, which in 30 days, we've done three virtual summits, have reached almost 2,000 plus people, and we've given to a, a nonprofit charity. So we've given to World Central Kitchen, which is Chef Jose mm-hmm. Andres, that's feeding people right now who have been impacted by COVID 19. We've given to the US Dream Academy, which is believes a child with a dream is a child with a future and we've given to Mary body which is to educate women in India about their body and so it's mm. been it's, it's it's been such a rich reward to say how do we change the narrative and create hope so hope is not just you know oh you should have hope no mm-hmm. hope is actually anchored in psychological research um, where dr uh, Rick Snyder from the University Kansas created a whole uh, thing called hope theory over 30 years looking why hope is so important. So that's some of the work that I'm doing now, you know, yeah. being a, a, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a legitimate hope dealer. Yes, you are. That is for sure. Yes. If there's ever a great DJ name, it's DJ hope dealer right there. DJ hope dealer. DJ hope dealer. I love that so much. So you got the fortune of working with some of the, you know, biggest companies in the world. And they obviously, um, you know, your messaging, they, that resonates with them, but what is the precipitation of them hiring you? So what's going on in their organizations that they think you can sort of help to, uh, course correct or to sort of inspire, what are you seeing in companies perhaps right now that, um, that is the reason that they're hiring you. 
I think the first thing why companies are coming to me is to help their leaders become better. And I know that sounds like I'm pandering at all, help leaders become better. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. It's not about them just leading. It's about personal leadership. So Mm -hmm. being able to challenge leaders to really look at the mirror and to say, how do I become better for myself? That's becoming better for my team. But I can't become better for my team until I become better for those who are at home. When I become better for those at home, I become better for them. I become better for me. I become better for the team and the organization at large. The other thing is organizations are engaged me around customer experience because they're discovering that before you can talk to external customers, you have to start with the internal customer because employees are customers too. So really looking at how do you onboard men and women, not just to come and to do a job, but to engage them in what's near and dear to their heart. And can they bring their best self to work? Are they in an environment where they are celebrated rather than tolerated. So those are kind of some of the areas. I just finished a really amazing project with SAP um, Mm -hmm. over a week long uh, regarding customer experience. I got a chance to to interview some of their top customers from all over the world. And so one of the things that I'm seeing when it comes to small and medium-sized businesses is this focus on personalizing the customer experience instead of just having it as a static transaction, but even Mm -hmm. in the digital space, what is that personalization that creates that connectivity that brings that customer back? So yeah, Yeah. some of the fun stuff. Oh, that's awesome. And I think leaders are now being challenged even as we're all working virtually, right? How do you lead a team that you aren't physically in the room with? So what are you seeing or what are you teaching around that at the moment? Yeah. So first of all, connectedness is the new currency. Uh, The ability to connect with a person and understanding the nuances of connection. So let me break that down. Uh, If you connect on video, that's one thing. But to say, hey, let's have a one-on-one, what would it be like to go old school and actually pick up the phone and Mm -hmm. have a conversation without video? Because sometimes in, hey, let's meet one-on-one, and it's kind of like being called into the principal's office. Mm -hmm. So it's really kind of knowing how that person is wired. And then the other thing is to let everyone on your team know, guess what? We're in a new era, a new time. This is the next normal, is what Mm -hmm. McKinsey is calling this. And it's okay if the doorbell rings, if the dog barks, if the child comes in or somebody else comes in because you cannot stop those situations and it's okay. But I think also leaders being intentional about just checking in, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. Um, Because you may have another spouse or a significant other that is also working at home now and the dynamics have changed. So it's just checking in with that person Mm -hmm. and say, you know what, before we start talking business, let's just talk about the important stuff. How are you doing? Is there anything that I can do? So in other words, I think leaders are understanding something very simple, two words, be human. Yeah. Be human and check in with folks. Right. Well, especially when, you know, workers are now being saddled with homeschooling schooling too. I mean, I'm fortunate. You're fortunate because your kids are older. I mean, maybe you've done a little bit of that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I, you know, I have no one I need to teach um, at home, but, um, but just, you know, that being another layer on top of everything that people are required to do during the day, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine, you know? So um, yeah. So that's, yeah, I think this whole shift to virtual, it's going to be interesting to see how much of it sticks once the world opens up again, you know, kind of best practices that we incorporate and then, and then what, you know, what sort of falls away. Um, 
Well, I like the, the fact. Research is saying, a lot of the research is saying, just sorry to interrupt, a lot of the research is saying that uh, employees, are, employers are realizing some employees don't want to go back into the office mm-hmm. because people are actually more productive at home. Yep. So some companies are going to be reevaluating leases and yep. work experiences and how people do that. Yeah, I think, yeah, commercial real estate could be an interesting field to be in now, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. as people look at um, not needing to go back, you know, I mean, I have a colleague who owns a, um, a PR firm here in San Diego and, and I know, you know, it has a beautiful office downtown, you know, one of the top buildings downtown overlooks the bay. I mean, the whole, you know, the, the, I've made it sort of, you know, what you strive for. And she's saying, God, my team's working so great remotely. Like, why do I need that expensive piece of property anymore? And so that's going to be, you know, that's going to be um, interesting too, to see what happens in that sort of commercial real estate space mm-hmm. as well. And how are they adjusting? It'd be interesting to see how exactly. they're, how they're adjusting at the moment too. So um, let's talk a little bit about mentors. I mean, you have been an incredible mentor to me. I've, um, I've called you in tears. I've called you in joy. I've called you in just, you know, needing to have a little STP B in my life, sorry, STP in my life. And um, so what, what, where do you find your mentors and who have been important mentors for you in life? I find, you know what? It's kind of like I meet my mentors through the power of serendipity. I, mm-hmm. I was just with a mentor uh, over the weekend and he's the mentor, uh, a mentor for Oprah. And he just poured into me for six hours. And oh I was supposed to be just a one hour meeting and turned into yeah. six hours, but it was transformational. And one of the biggest things I took away from the conversation is he said, you don't have to compromise to be recognized. Don't mm. ever forget that. Um, character is everything. Never forget the power of character and, and integrity because your character will take you to places where you would have never imagined and your integrity will keep you there. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's just those little nuggets of wisdom, yeah. you know, that he's acquired over 40 plus years that just so impacted me. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. Who haven't you met yet that you want to meet? You know, I haven't met Oprah. No, I haven't <laughs> met Oprah. You know, um, there's so many people that I want to meet, but if there is one person and, and she left the earth too soon, I would have loved to have met Mother Teresa. Mm. Um, just to, to understand in life, uh, I would have loved to have a conversation with Princess Diana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that she's amazing that even after all these years, she's still revered, you know, yep. and, 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 and celebrated. And of course, um, I would have loved to have met uh, Alice Presley. Just mm-hmm. to say, man, you were the you were the guy. Like, what was it like? <laughs> you you left too soon. You yeah. Know? And, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I get sure. to know a lot of people through their autobiographies, their autobiographies, yeah. through reading really great books. And one of my favorite books I just finished is a book by Jerry Weintraub, who was the Hollywood agent for George Clooney, Brad oh, Pitt, and yeah. uh, he used to represent Frank Sinatra in Another Life, and he oh. was the mastermind behind Ocean's. 11 and 12. And okay. It's called when I stop talking, you'll know I'm dead. It is, it is a page turner. You will, you will laugh. You will cry. The storytelling is riveting and yeah. to hear about Hollywood over the last 50 years. Uh, oh, that is, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. What is your, um, you talked a little bit about your morning routine now with your meds, right? Your mm-hmm. meditation, exercise, diet, and sleep. Did yes. I get that right? Very okay. good. 
So that's good. That's a, that's an excellent one. Okay. Mm-hmm. But um, what is your, what is your process like during the day? So, you know, are you, first of all, are you writing a new book? Because you're always writing every time yeah, I, I talk I'm writing, to you. I'm, so. I'm writing, I'm writing a couple right now. I'm really, really excited about that. Yeah. Um, one is going to be a deep personal book uh, because of after being married for 25 years, unfortunately I went through a divorce and I'm now kind of ready to talk about it. And mm-hmm. uh, that's going to be a book for men. You know, yep. I, I think uh, so many guys are just hurting and they're bitter. They're so yep. bitter about what went down and it doesn't matter who was right or wrong. So mm-hmm. I think I can provide a perspective now. And then the other book obviously will be business related uh, to help people ad- really adapt the new mindset for where we're going uh, in mm-hmm. the next 10 years, a mindset, skill set, will set. So okay. really excited about that book as well. What's your process for writing? So how do you dedicate time to it? Does it just sort of like, do you stop when you get inspired? What's your, what's your process? Three to 500 words a, a day or at least once a week. And okay. I don't think about it as a book. I, yeah. just, I just write what's in my heart. Like today, I, I wrote a draft for three recommendations that CEOs can do to spark hope now, you know, and, and just three to 500 words. And I don't think about it. But then at the end of the year, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I've been writing. Yeah. Chunk, chunk down. You know? yes. And then I just start to cherry pick and say, oh, that paragraph over here will work here. And we move pieces around and then voila. There you have it. Well, I opted for the as fast as you could write your book path. Um, my book I wrote in six weeks, start to finish. Whoa. And yes. Beast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always thought, you know, when you've got it on your heart and, and it needs to, and it's ready to come out, it will literally tip out. So, um, wow. and, um, I work best under a deadline and pressure. So, um, my okay. uh, writing coach that I had hired, um, said, listen, two chapters a week, this shouldn't take you more than six weeks. If it's in there, it's in there. Um, so I would write during the week. I'm not as dedicated as you in terms of like certain amount of time, but I would just sort of be inspired. And then I would start writing and telling my stories. Um, and then I knew I had a deadline for Saturday night and then she would edit on Sunday and we'd get back together on Mondays and we would talk about only a few minutes on what I had written and most of the time spent on what I was going to write because she said, you can always go back and edit. The biggest thing is keep moving forward, right? Just keep moving forward. And that's the best piece of advice I can give to people who are looking to write a book Mm -hmm. is you just got to get the words down on the page. The editing can come after, but if you get caught up in the like, Oh, I have to make this chapter perfect before I can move on. You're never going to write a book. No, never going to write a book. So write to rewrite. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then the most brutal part of it, I think is, is when you have it professionally edited <laughs> and, they, and you're like praying that like one page will just not have a mark on it. You're like, Oh my God, look at, I went three pages in my whole book. I went three pages without them correcting something. And I thought, Oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. So it is humbling. It is a humbling experience, but um, I appreciate that you are just, you have endless words in that head of yours and you, they just keep coming out on the pages and we all get to benefit from that. So, so thank thank you you for, for that. So let's talk a little bit about um, making big asks in your life. And since that's the theme of our, of our podcast here. So as you know, I've, I've made some big asks in my life and that's led to some great things. Um, personally and professionally. So is there a time in your life when you had to make a big ask 
um, reach out to somebody to, um, to have them help you on something sort of big or something. It didn't even have to be big, but it became a bigger thing for you sort of down the line. So when, when have you ever had to make a big ask? Well, I had to make a big ask when I was working on a project years ago and I needed some capital infusion uh, mm-hmm. to help get, get this particular project off the ground. And someone made it, I made an ask and they said yes and gave me a little time to repay them. And I paid them back every cent of what they, they gave me and, and a little extra. And it mm-hmm. felt good. It felt good that it was there, but I had to ask for it. I had to go for yep. it. Couldn't yeah. be afraid. Right. Right. So what would you tell, or what do you tell your, your kids or young people in your life about making big asks? You know what? The only thing people can say is no. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you know, I teach that by the time a child is 17 years of age, they have heard no 150,000 times and only yes, 5,000 times. So you never know what's on the other side of the yes, because Mm -hmm. it opens up, opens up a series of doors and opportunities that would have never emerge if you would have never said yes to making the ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, that's, that statistic gets me every time I've heard you say that before, yeah. but it's so staggering yeah. to me. You know, you're no wonder kids are how they are nowadays, you know, yeah. that they aren't seeing the other side of yes, which is such a great way mm-hmm. to such a great way to put that. So yeah, yeah that's great. Um, what causes are you involved with outside of work? What's important to you? What's on your, what's on your heart? So I'm on the national board for the U S dream Academy. Uh, I am also a part of Waymaker international that is really doing some work around resilience training, which mm-hmm. is so needed right now as we are coming out of COVID-19, there's going to be a significant mental health issue that organizations mm-hmm. and businesses have got to think about. So really excited to be a part of, of World Maker International, US Dream Academy. And I sit on the Orlando Health Foundation, which is one of our big hospital systems. I'm on their foundation board. I've been on that mm-hmm. board for about 10 years. And it's a, it's a 100-year-old hospital, uh, about $4 billion in revenue, 20,000 employees. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool to see the work in healthcare and how mm-hmm. they're staying on the cutting edge of where things are going. So, yeah. yeah, that's a little bit of my volunteer work. That's awesome, Simon. You're such, you're such a good human. We're just, I just wish that people had the opportunity. Yeah, more people had the opportunity. Friend. Oh, thank you. I only tried to like, what would Simon Bailey do? That's my, like, forget what would Jesus do? I'm just trying to do what would Simon T. Bailey do? So that's, that's it. Funny. Every morning I just that be like, what so would, what funny. would my Simon do? That would it. That would it. So, well, I know you and I could chat forever, but, um, yes. but we always end our podcast with um, some rapid fire questions, which are just okay. for fun. So we get to know you better. All right. So first thing that comes to mind, no, judgment. I will have probably no response to what you say, but we're just going to fire this at you. So, okay, here we go. Title of your lifetime movie. I did it my way. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. All right. If you could change places with any celebrity right now, who would it be? Oh my goodness. I would so love to be, um, Wow. You know, Kevin Hart is like living the dream. 
but it either be Kevin Hart or Daniel Craig because okay. I'm all about Bond. James yes. Bond. <laughs> <laughs> but Sean Connery is my guy, though. Sean Connery is your guy. Yes, okay, yes. perfect. Perfect. When do you feel happiest? You know, when... I see my, my children and they are really good human beings. Mm -hmm. I'm really just proud of who they are and and to see them express themselves, you know, and it's wonderful. It just gives me joy. Yeah. If you were running for politics, what would be your biggest campaign promise? End poverty. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Ultimate dinner party. Which four guests do you invite and why? Ooh, Lord. <laughs> and they so, can be uh, like a character, <laughs> a real person dead, doesn't matter. So I would invite uh, Julia Roberts, Reese Witherspoon, Carrie Washington, okay. and Holly Berry. <laughs> I don't think you have to answer the why. I think we can all put in, <laughs> fill in the blank there. So, okay, I'll perfect. Just say it. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. I see. I was thinking you were going to go with something, you know, like the Dalai Lama or, you know, knowing you like I do, but, but knowing you like I do, that doesn't surprise me either. So, okay. So, right this minute, you have to get a tattoo. What do you get and why? I would get a tattoo that would say it would be a heart. And it would have people from all around the world, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. And in the middle, it would say love wins because we are at a time where we've never seen the racial tension in our country, Mm -hmm. the way it's been in the last 50 years. Mm -hmm. And love wins. Love wins. That's that's the tattoo that I would get. That's awesome. Uh, Biggest pet peeve in business. People that don't show up on time. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know what? People that that operate with a average mindset. If it's not excellent, really, like, don't even come. Don't show up. It's got to be brilliant. There's no room for being average anymore. Yep. Average is over. Good. Good. What is your wish for the next generation? that they would solve and achieve the United Nations 17 transformational goals that they want to achieve by 2030. Number one, no poverty. Uh, Number two, zero hunger. Um, Number four, quality education. Number eight, um, economic empowerment, gender equality. If they they can achieve achieve this globally by Mm -hmm. 2030, wow, what what an amazing world. Yeah, that's awesome. When does your light shine the brightest? When I get a note card from someone who's read a book, saw a video, mm-hmm. heard something, and they did something with it, and I'm old school, I love handwritten notes, so yeah. I know it shows that the person took the time. Mm-hmm. I just, I, in fact, I've got them set up in my kitchen now, just notes that I've received from people. Yeah. When I have those days and those moments, like, what the heck am I doing? I go to those note cards, yeah. and they just, they just bring me joy. Oh, I love a handwritten note and I, I try to send handwritten notes and um, I just think it's a lost art. Like it's just such a, be- such a beautiful thing when you get something in a beautiful, you know, a piece of stationery with a handwritten note. It's just, it's just a gift, right? It so, all right. Last question. Intense. What yeah. is your big ask, either personal or professional right this minute that we can help you with? 
Hmm. I think my big ask would be hug people with your words. Everybody's got a story. And I know that might seem so simple, but Mm -hmm. everybody needs to be heard. They need to heal and we need to help them. And my big ask would be find somebody who doesn't look like you and create a buddy system. You don't have to go to each other's homes, but let them know that they matter and start a conversation to get to know your neighbor. Let's just start in the neighborhood. Get to know your neighbor. Start there and be Mm -hmm. a better human towards them and be okay with, I may not get it right. And my questions may not articulate Mm -hmm. exactly where you are, but I'm willing to put myself out there if you will. That's my big ass. Just find somebody who doesn't look like you and and love them where they are and let them love you where you are. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. So thank you, Simon. Thank you for saying yes to my big ask of asking you to be on the podcast. Um, You know, I adore you. I think you're amazing. I think your, your light shines the brightest when you are, when you are teaching others. And I've been so blessed to have been a student of yours. So thank you for that. Um, What's the best way for um, our listeners to reach you and to find you on social or uh, your website? Yeah, Simon T. Bailey.com. T like terrific. Bailey, uh, B A I L E Y.com. And then Simon T. Bailey on all social media platforms. I think you're amazing. So thank you so much. And uh, thank you for listening. And I hope to have you join us on the next Big Ass Podcast. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Big Ass Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe to and share the podcast with your friends. And be sure to connect with me on social at Miss Nicole Matthews or at Big Ass Podcast. Until next time, let today be the day you make a big ask. Thank you.